raise a couple more to the revolution. We have only three words for you. Uh-oh. We're taking over. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another edition of the Q Zero Theater Cast. This is your host, Artistic Director Dan Pelletier. First, I'd like to thank everybody for their wonderful feedback on our last couple of interviews. It seems that everyone, you know, is enjoying this pullback behind the curtain and getting to know some of the different positions and jobs and rigors of creating live theater and uh, getting a better respect and appreciation for their fellow theater artists, especially those in the positions that don't always get the glory. I'd like to also give a shout out to our last guest, Katie Gall, for that wonderful interview on staying healthy in the arts. Um, I hope everybody took something away from that, both on a personal level as well as when we start putting this industry back together after the pandemic and shutdown end on ways we can improve the overall performing arts situation for all parties involved. Now, today's discussion is on a very important topic that even some of the most seasoned people in the community theater scene, I don't think I have a true understanding and appreciation of this topic, and that is. What exactly does a board of directors do for a theatrical organization? You know, a lot of community theaters have a board of directors there um, and they do a lot of thankless work. And I don't always think, you know, the full ins and outs and uh, what they can do and what they can't do and how they're organized and put together are fully understood. So last night I interviewed uh, two people with a fair amount of board experience. Now I will say uh, we did have a couple of connectivity issues, so there might be a little bit of a drop in quality from our normal um, high standards on the audio, but hopefully that won't detract too much because I do think you're going to take away a lot from this and learn kind of just about how without good administrative leadership, you know, you can have some of the best artistic minds on the planet, but your shows are going to suffer. And I think you'll uh, get a better appreciation for that from this interview. So that's all I'm going to say to introduce this. And I hope you enjoy this discussion on the board of directors in the theater. Thank you both so much for joining me on this discussion. Now, one of you has been on the podcast before, and the other one is new to our listeners. So why don't we start with our old friend, and you can introduce yourself to everybody and you know talk about your experience a little bit on being a board of directors member, and then we'll throw it over to our new guest, who can also let us know uh, who she is and her theater background. So I am Beth Schwartz. I am currently sitting on the board of directors at Nashua Theater Guild and previously have sat on the board at Peacock Players and a nonprofit called Discover Dance. I've been involved with community theater for a really, really, really long time, uh, about 50 years. Hi, I'm Sarah Flagg. Um, I will start with where I was aboard. I was on the board of a small but mighty community theater outside of the greater Portland area. Um, I'm not there currently, as I am now in New Hampshire, but uh, my general background in theater is I went to college for musical theater. I'm an active performer. I've also done pretty much everything else I've production managed. I was a lighting tech. I have my hands in every 
everything. Let's just start off with like a super basic question for those people who might be listening and might not know, um, especially, you know, like Q0 doesn't have a board of directors. So uh, if you could summarize and again, I know every time I ask for a summary, um, everyone's like, that's impossible. But if you could summarize in like, you know, two or three sentences, what exactly is the purpose and role of a board of directors with a theater group, um, I think that'd be a good place for us to start. My experience on the board is that basically we did everything, which is not necessarily helpful, but um, because this was a smaller theater, we did everything from choosing the season to applying for grants to, um, you know, choosing who was going to snowplow <laughs> the theater parking lot every summer. So it kind of depended on the person. I know that I helped a lot in um, production management and coordinating technical elements. Others like only wrote grants and did marketing and publicity. Other people focused in producing and then others were in financials. So it was a good mix across the board. I mean, I think similar to what Sarah said, there is a lot of, we generally interview directors, pick the season, liaison with the other theater groups that share the space that we use. There, there's a lot of political, you know, this person said this about that person and, you know, smoothing edges. And um, it also varies from group to group as to what the expectations are for the board and varies with different positions on the board. Beth, I know you've held a number of different positions. Um, what, like, do all boards have like a standard set of positions or is there some variance? So like, I'm assuming like most would have like a president and then a vice president. Uh, like what are the different roles that um, are on a board? And then Beth, what, uh, what positions have you held? So standard, there is a president, a vice president, corresponding secretary, uh, recording secretary, treasurer. Some boards have an ombudsman, um, which is, you know, dealing with conflict resolution within the group. Um, and then there are the directors, which are um, non-titled voting members of the board who oversee a lot of different tasks. Um, I have sat as a corresponding and a recording secretary. Uh, I have sat as a vice president and as a director a number of times nobody will ever ask me to be a treasurer it would not be a good thing <laughs> um now what's the difference between a corresponding and a recording secretary the recording secretary records the minutes of the board meetings and make sure that they are typed out and relayed to the other members of the board um similar to being a stage manager mm -hmm. um, and uh corresponding secretary uh, when we get messages from outside, um, people write into the organization and need answers about something. Uh, we get a grant and it comes into the general mailbox and the corresponding secretary replies to all correspondence. Right. So recording would kind of be internal communication where corresponding is external communication. Yeah. Sarah, have you had any different positions like that or like what, what, uh, you know, what was your official title on the board? So I was primarily just a member at large, pretty much. Um, I filled in as secretary. Um, we had kind of the standard executive board of president, vice president. We only had one secretary. 
who dealt with mostly minutes and internal affairs. And then we had someone who really dealt with things like press releases and marketing publicity. We had limited channels of people reaching like out to us to communicate. So it kind of depended on where it came from. A lot of it was personal connections. So it normally went through that specific person. We added an ombuds person actually when I joined because of some shenanigans the summer before um, <laughs> that I wasn't a part of, but I know that never uh, happens in theater. <laughs> never. Yeah. And then we kind of, depending on what was needed, there would be subcommittees, but they normally weren't permanent. Mm-hmm. So um, smaller groups within the larger board um, would get together. And then we actually also, this theater had, or still has a very strong education department. So they had a program, they had the education director who was not, actually a member of the board he was non-voting but he still had some input and uh you know role in the meetings now i know that as you guys were saying like the typically the board does a lot of the hiring things but then you do have some organizations that have you know either full-time or part-time actual staff members like an artistic director, an education director. So how does a role like that, like especially if they're like a full-time staff, um, how do they interact with the board? And, um, you know, how is there a shared balance of power power within an organization when you have, um, you know, director positions that are not board members versus the board itself? I did sit on the board at Peacock Players that does have a paid artistic director position. And the artistic director there does sit on the board, does have a vote. Primarily, he uh, puts together the season that he would like to see them perform. And then the board of directors has veto power if they feel that something would not be appropriate or doesn't fit into the educational outlook of the theater group itself. Did not see that happen often, but the chance of it happening does exist. So typically a board is elected. Now I've seen, you know, some organizations like people campaign for office, other organizations like a slate is just announced and you vote on it like as a whole and people can like object. And some of that's kind of been confusing to me. So we were not elected. A lot of us were kind of. begged to serve on the board <laughs> to put it lightly um, and i think you get that yeah. a lot with the when you're just starting out definitely i know i mean q zero doesn't have a board we have a brain trust uh which is usually whoever's it, who is in the room with me uh when i'm making decisions so i was asked to join by a couple people and i basically was like no i just finished school i'm acting in shows i'm like trying to work and be a human <laughs> Please don't. And then I ended up on the board. So, um, yeah, so it was basically like they welcomed me. They had me come for like a, I don't even, an audition meeting, if you want to use theater terminology. They had me come sit in on a meeting and I was able to interact fully if I had ideas, questions, comments. Um, And then they kind of decided amongst themselves that they felt that it was a good fit. They may be voting now, but I think at the time it was just they really needed people and people that were knowledgeable and willing to do the work and willing to fill in if need be. A lot of times you get lassoed in and hogtied and 
um, you end up on the board. Um, the way that it is supposed to happen with most boards is that a slate is presented to the general membership and the general membership votes whether to accept or decline. It's very rare that it's declined because nobody else really wants to do it. It's a thankless job. Now, would that be why, like most boards I see have like term limits or number of times? Or is that just you know something that evolves uh, out of the nature? I, I think, again, this is part of the bylaws. It's uh, Robert's Rules of Orders. You have to have a term limit. Um, I, on Nashua Theatre Guild's board, if you are sitting as a director or a general member, uh, your term limit is two years, but when you are holding an actual title on the board, your limit is one year. And I think that part of it is to encourage turnover and to prevent burnout. Right. Um, I could see benefits as well as drawbacks to that. I mean, you know, if you get somebody that's really good on the board um, you know, forcing them out while they're on a hot streak to me could cause issues. Whereas, you know, I, there's probably definitely people, you know, I've seen it in my time working with different organizations as well as overseeing the drama club that have uh, fallen into a position and you just can't wait to take away the power from them because they don't know how to use it. It's like, are you in favor of short term limits or would you like like to be able to, you know, see um, you know, things? Because that's one thing I always notice when I'm looking at different community groups is that like, you know, every year or two, their person in charge is changing. And I think that really can affect the overall direction um, as well as like you know, the general opinion of a group that like when they've got a good head on its shoulders, I guess, for lack of a better term, you know, I you feel really confident in a group. But then if the person that was you know, doing all the work gets forced out and the group can lose a lot of equity. I don't see it so much as forcing people out. I think no longer sitting on the board doesn't mean that you're no longer involved with the organization. I think a lot of times once you given that much of your heart and soul to an organization, you still really want to see it succeed. And people are more likely to stay involved with the group to see that happen. We technically had term limits and it was more like a term length, but it was basically, we just voted every year on the position. Some of them were uh, for members of the theater, which was kind of a nebulous concept at the time. Um, and then others were decided by the board itself. But the thing was, is that there was nothing to prevent people from being elected to the same position over and over. And I see your point where that could be a good thing. But on the flip side, it also means that if something's not working, it's really hard to change it because that's what people are familiar with. Mm. And, and I, that's the way it's always been done. Oof. Exactly. I'm, I mean, for example, on the board I was on, the president's parent was on the board and had been since I think she was a child. So, and I mean, they're like, they were both fine and great, but I mean, there was just such low turnover and it felt like there wasn't really a way to not move up the ladder because that's not necessarily how it works, but there wasn't a lot of room for growth. If you joined, didn't yeah. feel like you could take on certain responsibilities or, um, I mean, you could work closely with someone to kind of shadow their position, but at the end of the day, is it ever really going to be open? Doesn't necessarily mean that someone in charge is a bad person, but I find that a lot of the time it's hard to see 
when change is necessary and how to enact it when you're comfortable and know what's happening and you don't want to, you know, change that up. I, I also see a problem with not having term limits because of what did happen at Nashville Theatre Guild. There were a set number of people who sat on the board for a long period. When one of them passed away, the board fell apart and there was nobody sitting in the wings to take over and the organization almost ceased to exist. So is that kind of where there is like the benefit of having the board of directors coinciding with like full-time or even part-time artistic staff, which, you know, that could be your way to com- uh, create a uh, sense of consistency while still getting fresh blood in, you know, every year or whatnot, that if you do have the board have some turnover as well as then having your artistic minds or, you know, a couple of people that are going to be there as long as they are competent at the job and want the job, um, you know, could that be the solution to finding the cohesion? Most community theaters can't afford to pay an artistic director even a part-time salary when we right. can barely afford to pay royalties for the shows we wanted to. So actually kind of going off of that, not just your your full-time staff, but as you guys mentioned, one of the biggest things that the board has to do is both you, uh, either being involved in show selection and then staffing shows. Um how does a board go about doing that and how difficult of a job can that be sometimes? Let's start with like building a season and then we could talk about hiring directors, choreographers, uh, designers and down, et cetera, et cetera. What kind of happened is that the board at first would meet together and we would come up with ideas for the season for the people that we know that are in our community that are going to come audition, what is realistic with our budget, things that we think the community would be interested in because Portland is pretty saturated with community theaters and a lot of them are very good and very well known in the area. And then beyond that, we ended up opening up to a kind of selection committee. So we had a few people outside of the board, but that were heavily involved as volunteers or as actors or just around, you know, uh, look through material and recommend what they thought would be best or that they found interesting. And we took that and slated from there. And then basically, unless we had a director that really, really wanted to do a specific show and brought it to us ahead of time, we would then put out a call for directors and interview them and go from there. Different groups do things so differently from one another, even within the same city. Peacock Players, as I said, uh, the resident director put together his preferred season, even goes so far as generally to suggest who he'd like to see direct each piece. Then those directors are approached by the board if the season passes. Theater Guild... We've done it a couple of different ways. This year, they did try doing a pitch-a-thon, which was having a bunch of people come in with pieces that they would like to see produced. I think that I like having a director come in with a passion project more because then it is something that they really want to do and really want to see done. 
and they're more likely to be seriously invested in the piece. I 100% agree with that. I know, I want to say it was a week one lesson in directing class in college. First thing that was just written across the board was never direct a show you don't love because (laughs) it's going to make you miserable. So if you only just like it or just doing it because you have to do it, you're going to go insane. So then building off that, something else that I actually am currently doing is you know, then hiring those directors. So whether you're hiring just a director for a straight play or a whole team, um, you know, how does that typically go? What sort of questions do you ask? And what are you really looking for when you're trying to hire a director or a music director or a choreographer for a piece? I mean, I think it's different for the three jobs. It's also different if you are looking at a straight play as opposed to a musical, because with a musical, you do have the three different directors to to carry the show. I personally prefer when a team for a musical comes in together as a team because you know that they want to do this piece together and they've talked about it, they've worked on the ideas and how they want to see the show move forward, how they want to produce the show from auditions through to the actual performance of the show, what they're looking for in a cast, how many people they want to see. I have seen it work occasionally where they've chosen a director and they've chosen a music director and they've chosen a choreographer separately. And then they all do kind of gel, but I've also seen it completely combust. I think working with a, a straight play because you just have the director I think they really have to come in with firm ideas of how they want the show to run, how they want to do auditions, how many people they'd like to cast in the show, what their ideas are, what their vision is. Do they have a budget? Do they have ideas for maybe even how to market the show if it's something that's not not so well-known? I would say 95% of the time, the uh, folks who come in as a team or a package. One of the times I ended up being the music director, the way that our structure functioned is that basically we would hire the director and then it was the director's job to do that further hiring. So that was more why they came in as a package because generally when a director would take on a show or in the cases when they would um, pitch it to us, they would already have those people in mind because we can't necessarily, we couldn't necessarily provide them almost but it was less hands-on than one would think for us because it was another situation of not enough people. So normally we'd got just enough people to direct and they had their people and they were people that we had worked with before. It was kind of low intensity on the board of director's side. It was just making sure that we got the show itself into the hands of a director that we trusted. Do you have any sort of advice you would give to somebody who maybe hasn't pitched before or is just trying to get started? Common mistakes or things you like to see from somebody with a little, you know, less experience? My suggestion would be look for a group who does either an evening of one act or pitching as an assistant director so that you can mentor with somebody who knows a little more than you do and learn the ropes before you take on a full show by yourself. One thing that I love to see is a clear vision and plan because passion, you can tell so easily if someone really cares and is passionate about their project, but passion doesn't always translate to execution, especially if you're new and you haven't handled this before. You may have some really, really wonderful ideas, but since you haven't had the experience of putting things up on their feet 
only a couple times or ever, that may be very different than what you imagined. I agree about um, pitching as an AD. Reach out to either people you know in theater that work in these jobs, and they may have you shadow or even come on as an AD or maybe an ASM. However, that structure works for your theater. Don't be afraid to like put yourself out there, even if it's not for your dream job yet, but it's a step on that ladder to get there. While we were having this, I was remembering when I was on the show selection committee in college my senior year for the student-directed pieces. Uh, and I remember, and I hope, you know, this person isn't listening and remembers this, but, um, you know, they, you know, and their pitch seemed really good until we got to a part where they talked about their set design and they compared what they wanted to do to a previous thing. And they're like, yeah, I think it would, you know, a really simple set, kind of like what we had for such and such a show with this, this and this. And everybody in the room, when we got to that part of their pitch, you know, the alarm bells started ringing because we're like, that was not a simple set. That was a nightmare to build. And if they want, you know, to re try to recreate some of those elements, they have no understanding of what it actually takes to put up a show like this. Uh, so, you know, do you guys have, you can either, you know, either a specific story or just in general, like red flags that go off when somebody says something that you're like, you're not getting hired. I have a quick one actually about someone who was hired and it just ended up being cut, but, um, a proposal for a musical where the whole back of the stage. So instead of like a scrim or a backdrop would be like the Hollywood lights. You know, you know what I mean? Like a string of lights all the way down the big bulbs. And like, across. yeah, like, like a marquee chase light type thing. Yeah. But except it's not a marquee and it's the whole wall. So I was like, Oh, that's really cool. If we had the budget, like we're budgeting to get a new boiler. So we probably can't handle buying these specialty items as well as pay for the electricity. That person actually did end up directing the show and it went very well, but that was one of the first things to be cut. My one comment on light bulbs like that, they make the coolest noise when you drop them and they explode, which gets followed by the which gets followed by the least coolest noise, which is the tech director yelling at you. Because of my day job, I tend to be the risk manager. And I get a little nervous whenever someone decides we're going to tie a rope from the ceiling and do something. Just things that are flashy, but in my opinion, maybe not the safest choice. But you would hate this then. They did a production the next year with flying. Literally everyone turned down, putting the rig up in the building except for one person who they begged. And like, I'm pretty sure it was not up to code for the flying. That was a red flag, but it happened. Couple people ran into walls. Flying is definitely a big uh, safety concern. Uh, you know, in in the tech theater realm, that's where like the real money is when you're good at it. Is being somebody that's certified to rig flying, but it's also very dangerous, and you need things to be weighted very specifically. And for the love of God, anyone listening out there, please, 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 please don't cut corners when it comes to rigging flying when it comes to anything like that with safety above the ground these are av avoidable injuries and i don't care how cool you think your effect is going to be people don't need to die for your show or break a rib or have cte because you wanted you know the the, the David Lee Roth flying over the audience effect or whatnot, or your Mary, you know, your Mary Poppins has to fly, but you can't pay the real person. So just you get some dad with a dog runner 
No. And I actually just thought of one other thing that kind of brings it back to the pitch hiring level is budget. Because mm. most of the time when you come in with something, you have to have some idea of your budget. That's probably the hardest part for somebody that's new to this is, the, uh, you know, they might have a general idea of how much things cost, but still being able to be like, my set is going to be X number of dollars. I need this for lights ever. Or I'm just going to pull everything from stock, like trying to ballpark a budget when you're just starting out. Definitely a huge challenge. Our benefit from where I was is that we kind of had a template and a general average number of what was paid to the director, the MD, what whoever in that case. But it was when people came in with like, yeah, our set budget is $200. And I'm like, you're building a spiral staircase. How do you, (laughs) how do you think you're going to do that? Two spiral staircases. Oh, okay. The only exception I would make to that is if it was like someone that I knew or was like a mutual acquaintance that I knew was very good at fundraising and like finding donors that would be where I'd be less nervous, but yeah, realistic budget is like a very early red flag or an unrealistic budget rather. Sorry. Fundraising and budgeting are both podcast topics to come because I just don't see the average person even inside the theater, but especially outside the theater that understands just how expensive everything we do is. Even when you are pulling you know, 95% of your costumes, props and set pieces from your stock, um, just rights alone. And then you're right, you know, lumber, paint, battery, double A batteries, which might be the the ultimate budget slaughterer for longer runs. And condoms. Yes. And you're, you're lovely. <laughs> <laughs> I need to have a sound engineer on so we they can explain uh, why they buy unlubricated condoms in bulk um, because it's a it's a common occurrence in the theater and some people uh, don't understand why or as or as we like to use when I'm working with the youth theater it's a microphone wrapper yeah and, and if you start to say the c word we're, you're going to be in trouble because we don't <laughs> use that word in front of the eight year olds my twelve year olds oh, no. that think. Condom is a funny word. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, my, my personal favorite condom story was when I was working on a show and I uh, got sent to every single pharmacy in downtown Nashua looking for unlubricated condoms at, you know, three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. I'll, I'll one up you. I know that one time the sound tech at the palace had to run over to Forbidden Fruit um to pick up because it was the only place within walking distance that had unlubricated condoms uh because the cvs on elm street had gone out of business at that point so they had to go into the sex shop or you don't have to deal with mics at all and that Uh. is blessing and a curse I'd love to just kind of talk about like how a board has to go about settling both internal disputes and then beth you touched upon um you know working with other groups when you have shared spaces what are the typical things that cause problems in a theater group and then how does the board go about solving them you're dealing with a lot of personalities and a lot of strong personalities generally and not gonna lie sometimes we end up going head to head with one another butting heads with one another and and sometimes it's just a matter of figuring out how to smooth those feathers and reduce the ruffles and move on to the next point. One of my biggest pet peeves with 
dealing with actors within the community. There are a number of actors, especially in community theater, who don't treat community theater professionally. I have very big problem with people using substances when they're performing in a show that I'm working on because it makes them dangerous. Yeah, if you got a list of people that have done that before, forward out and over because I'm not hiring them in the future. I do have a list of people that I choose not to work with for that reason. The blacklist, it's real. The blacklist is real. Every director and organization has one. Don't end up on one. And it's not, to me, it's hard to end up on one. You know, it it just but somehow people keep ending up on it. It really is. I mean, you have to really try or really not care because most of the people I know are willing to give a second chance. Sarah, your your experience with having to deal with, uh, you know, disputes within an organization, whether it's a director, another board member, an actor, like what sort of things come up a lot and uh, what are the challenges there? So one of the biggest things that I saw and dealt with was that a lot of our board were also stage parents of kids who were in the education program at this theater for which they were helping choose the seasons, the directors reaching out to people to be involved. I think I know how this one ends. Personally, unless I really had to, I tried to be diplomatic um, because this also led to butting of heads between certain board members and the education director. If casting didn't go a certain way, Things like that. The addition of the ombudsperson, I don't think it was used to its fullest potential, but the person that they picked when they created the role is someone that I really look up to and really respect, and she was great for it. I just don't think she was utilized well, Um, and I hope that that has evolved since then. I'm thinking about all this, and one of the most important things that I can think of is contracts. Even on the community theater level, Having a, like, even if it's informal, a written set of rules that everyone signs about behavior expectations, like what you can and can't do. So substances are very high up on the list for the theater that I was at, especially because there were so many kids and just outlining clearly what the repercussions would be, because I find that it's one of the biggest problems is unclear communication. And when someone does something, but there's no consistent response or there's no response or, you know, you didn't tell me I couldn't. So why am I in trouble kind right. of deal? And that's not necessarily the board. That's, that's um, more on a actor tech people who are not, who are in the theater, but not on the board. But I think it's useful for a, a board as well. It's 100%. Kind of, I mean, it's, you end up with bylaws for most of that. And um, <laughs> Robert's rules gives you some options if things happen. Not very many, mostly on how you vote. But I do think there's uh, nothing more, quotation marks, fun and uh, than sitting down with your rule book and reminiscing over knowing exactly why certain amendments and rules were added. Truly. And then kind of going back to your uh, your parents thing, and maybe I'll go into this more when we do one on youth and educational theater, but I combat uh, parents complaining about casting by, you know, I start the year off with the drama club by holding a, a parent meeting and I take out two envelopes and I tell them in one envelope is an application to run the drama club and the other envelope is is my resignation letter. 
And if if I the first time I get a complaint about how I'm using your child or my casting decisions, I will place your name on the application to run the drama club and I will hand in these two things together and I will never be seen again because uh, I'm severely underpaid uh, and I don't want to have to deal with anything like that. And so far, so good. Knock on wood. Five years running. I have not had a parent complain about a casting decision to your face. Yeah, well, to my face. And that's if they want to complain behind behind my back, you know, whatever they want. So, Beth, um, the other one, you know, as far as like relationships uh, with other organizations, like what's that like? Because as, as you said, you know, Nashua has Peacock, Nashua Theater Guild, Actor Singers, um, you know, the schools. And then I'm sure that there's other things that pop up and whatnot. So like when you guys are sharing two spaces and have a lot of uh, actor back and forth, as well as, you know, sharing of resources. How does the board go about uh, cultivating those relationships uh, as well as, you know, protecting their own interests? In Nashua, the Court Street Theater, which is our primary shared performance space, is scheduled by the city. And it's really just having usually the producer um, as a liaison to the other organization trying to schedule when can we start loading our building supplies in that isn't going to interfere with your performance, with your space, with your loadout to maximize the amount of time we get to build when we move in or how are we going to move out while they're moving in kind of thing. We happen to be very lucky that all of the groups do work well together, at least the the three primary groups that perform at that space in communicating and, and scheduling our needs against the other. Hello, Q0 fans. Q0 business advisor and performer Jake Ranlett here, interrupting your regularly scheduled podcast to talk about Q0 sponsorship and membership. As I'm sure you know, theater is really expensive, and we cannot survive on ticket sales alone, which is why we have these two awesome programs that not only allow Q0 to continue to revolutionize the performing arts scene in New Hampshire, but has incredible benefits for you as well. Sponsors get their name and logo in our playbill, on our posters, mentioned in our podcasts, listed on our press releases, and so much more. We go out of our way to make sure everyone knows about you and thanks you for helping make Q0 possible. We also have our membership program for individuals who want a little bit more bang for their buck and a lot more Q0 in their lives. We have 10 different levels of membership, starting as low as $2 a month. Every level of membership comes with awesome perks, such as early access to the Q0 Theater cast, discounts on tickets and merchandise, exclusive behind-the-scenes video content, the ability to read our New Works blog, and so much more. The more you give, the more you get. If you want to be a vital part of the Q0 revolution, Head on over to cztheater.com and click the Support CZT link to become a sponsor or a member today. And now, back to the podcast. (laughs) 
necessarily like you talked about a lot of times boards have difficult time finding new board members and it can be a little bit of a thankless job. But I'm going to I want you to get on your soapbox right now and advocate for why somebody should join the board or try to be a part of and be more involved with their local community theater. Well, first of all, because all the wonderful things that you come see us perform cannot be sustained by like the five same volunteers all year is <laughs> a selfish reason. But um, basically the more people we have available, the more resources we have and the more we are able to branch out um, specifically in terms of the board. I was actually going to bring this up at some point and I had mentioned it to you, Dan, when I was on the board, I was, I must've been 25. I was the only one on the board under 40 years old. I'm not saying that's true everywhere, but it, I see that it's a trend that a lot of the folks on boards are either parents, um, are in the middle age bracket, if you will. And I think that it's really important to get a fresh perspective because especially if you're not seeing the types of things you want to see produced in your area, that's not going to change unless you approach someone, uh, even just give feedback. You don't even necessarily have to show up and be like, I'm going to be on your board now. You can even just look for opportunities to volunteer your time. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's a skill set. Sometimes it's, you know, material goods. You have all that firewood that can be used for that set, whatever. It is important to keep a variety of perspectives, even with all the strong personalities that were mentioned earlier, because otherwise, like you said, it's just going to be the status quo. And I know that I actually, even though I'm not on a board right now, I really enjoyed the work I did. I've worked on other boards that are not for theaters. And I found that it's um, really good skills to have just in life to be able to work with other people, other strong personalities, getting to look at thing, oper running operations. Like that's something that the average person may not know. And it just makes you more valuable as a person. I mean, no two people are going to bring the same experience to a board. So like I came as primarily an actor, someone else came primarily as a set designer, scene painter, scene builder. So like, we're going to have totally different ideas. And I find that more often than not, you can find uh, these really happy moments of inspiration when you have different perspectives. People don't realize how much it takes to maintain an arts organization. It's not all the fun side of entertainment, going to see a show and clapping for your friends on stage. It takes a lot to get to the point of being on stage and being on the board of directors helps create that environment, helps steer that to a fruitful conclusion. Getting to see it from start to finish and incubating from a little idea to a full-fledged production, be it a, a straight play or a full-scale musical, you know, just watching it grow. I think it, it's, it's something that a lot of people don't realize how much it takes to get from point A to point A. Thank you so much. I Great answer. I'll go to Beth first and then Sarah. Is there anything you felt I should have asked or a topic you would like to uh, bring up or comment you'd like to make while we're on the subject of board of directors? Just do it. I mean, it's it's intimidating the first time you sit on a board of directors. You don't know what to expect. You don't know what the expectations of you are or are going to be. If you're lucky, they are constantly changing and, and it challenges you. But it can be really rewarding to help keep this organization alive. I don't have any specific question that you 
should have asked us, but I have a question for the listeners. And that is why aren't you getting involved? What is, what is that barrier for you? If you've been coming to that theater for so long um, and you love what they do, I'm not talking board of directors. You could just usher for a show, but I really encourage people to take that extra step because like has been said, it's, it's so hard to get these things and these shows on their feet. Another benefit of being on the board is that it is not necessarily all theater people, at least in my experience. Um, so one of the most rewarding things for me actually was people coming from like a small business background because they've been doing this for a long time. And this is a little larger scale, but a lot of good insight. I agree. And I've worked with boards that if there were seven people on the board, two of them had been on stage, one of them had directed a show and the rest were all just, you know, people that liked theater or were on there for their business acumen. And it's definitely... Um, important to have a good diverse backgrounds when it comes to things because you know theater is a business so you want the business people in the room as well as theater being an artistic endeavor so you want the artistic people in the room and there you got to find that balance between making a good artistic decision making a good uh, business decision i mean every now and then you run into the person that doesn't actually understand you know either what a, what it takes to put on a show or the economics of theater on either side of the spectrum and you gotta slowly teach them these things but i i 100 agree that you're right you don't have to be a former actor designer director to serve on a board like um i w- would welcome uh outside perspectives and i think it would give the greater community a better uh understanding of everything that we do go to open meetings that's my other comment (laughs) (laughs) yeah they happen at least once a year and i know that having an open meeting for a board where no one shows up is very disheartening because they are there to improve and take feedback and even criticism and we can't really do that if we don't get it building on what sarah said especially right now where our open meetings are taking place in a very different format than we've ever had. Um, A lot of groups have their elections coming up this year and we're doing them virtually. And so log into that theater group and show your interest in the upcoming year, because we can't do it if you guys don't participate in our meetings. 100% right, Beth. Well, thank you guys both for coming on the podcast. Beth, thank you for coming back. Sarah, thank you for joining us for the first time. I hope both of you will uh, be on more episodes in the future, and hopefully we'll be working together again in some capacity in the near future, um, because you're both just delightful people. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you, you too. Thank you once again to Beth and Sarah for that wonderful discussion on the importance of a good board of directors and leadership in the theater, and a big shout out to everybody who's listening that has served on a board of directors or in a leadership position in an arts organization. Your countless hours and hard work do not go unrecognized, and we thank you for everything that you do. I've got a number of things that I'd like to take a moment to plug that Q0 has coming up. So first, on June 12th, 7 p.m. via Facebook Live and YouTube Live, 100% free. We have our first ever fully virtual production. We will be presenting a reading of a new play, A Series of Inelastic Collisions by Eugenie Carabatasso. Hopefully I pronounced that correctly. I apologize if I butchered your name. 
The play will be read by local actors, followed by a discussion of the piece, as well as an opportunity for our audience members to provide feedback or ask questions about the play, so Eugenie can go forth and further develop the piece. We are also trying to have a, what I'm calling the seven-hour playwriting contest, kind of in a vein of one of those 24-hour play festivals or a a play-in-a-day contest, something like that. So we're looking for a handful of writers that want to spend a Saturday writing 10 to 15-minute plays, all using a similar prompt, or the same prompt, actually, followed by a live stream reading of the plays. And uh, so you can, uh, you know, they can hear their, hear their work read. So if that's something you're interested in, please do reach out, cztheater at gmail.com. Most importantly, or the biggest thing that we're looking for right now is we are looking for local directors with passion projects that want to be a part of our third season in 2021. Now, this will be the first time since Project Zero all the way back in 2014 that somebody other than myself will be directing for Q0. And I, this is something that I've been wanting to do for a long while. I don't just want Q0 to be all my shows. You know, there's a reason why it's Q0 Theater Company and not Dan Pelletier Productions, because I want more people involved. I want to help develop and cultivate the talent of our young theater artists so we have a better variety of talent and a lot of voices that'll help continue to create a vibrant art scene here in the Southern New Hampshire, Greater Merrimack Valley area. So if you're interested in that, again, cztheater at gmail.com. We're going to start interviews on June 15th and continue interviewing people until we have found the right projects for season three. Speaking of you know getting new people involved, if you you know I've had a lot of people over the past few days while we've been looking for performers for a series of inelastic collisions be like oh this person's been dying to work with you or they you know they they really like what you do if you want to be some of the first people to be in informed and get the info about all of the performing writing directing designing and other opportunities we are offering at Q Zero please. Head on over to cztheater.com, click the Get Involved link, fill out the short little form, and you'll get added to our artist database. That's the best way to stay up to date on all of our needs. You sometimes will get things that we don't share with the public, and that's the best way to you know make sure you are one of the first people in line when Q0 is looking for actors, artists, and directors. And finally, if you want to you know help Q0. As we've discussed in this episode, making theater is not a cheap endeavor. Um, so we are always looking for new sponsors, new members, new donors. So that's something else you can learn more about at our website. And while we don't have a main stage full production coming up anytime soon, we will be working in some sponsor talking of our sponsors into the podcast, as well as all of our other endeavors that we do during this whole COVID shutdown thing. So I just want to thank everybody that was, um, you know, had already purchased sponsorship for the production of Hamlet that we've postponed. And we are also automatically giving everybody a free ad in our Heather's Playbill. So we've kind of, you know, just kind of moved it to a new show. So I want to thank Loon Chocolate, Chef Sean Harris, NH Tunes, uh, those were our bronze level sponsors. Greg Powers, Keller Williams, our silver level sponsor. Creva Academy, who uh, graciously lets us rehearse and sometimes perform at their uh, venue. 
as well as our top level members, Lori Pelletier, Alex Basis. You guys, again, we couldn't exist without you. Um, so if you want to help out Q0, you know, head on over to our website and check that out. Well, I have rambled on probably longer than need to, but thank you guys all so much for listening. This has been a wonderful time, and I've really enjoyed being able to create these podcasts while in um, you know, isolation, for lack of a better term. So, one final time. This is Artistic Director Dan Pelletier, and as we always say, support local theater and join the revolution. <laughs> <laughs>